Well, welcome to The Emergent Human. we we'll explore optimizing health and body spirituality and post-conventional living. I'm Michael Osterlink, a therapist, coach, educator, and I'm your host. I'd like to encourage you to check out the Arte Collective Mastermind brought to you by Aperion Zoe. We'll be launching our second cohort in July. If you're interested in body, mind, and spiritual growth with a great community, it could be a good fit for you. Check us out at www.lifeofexcellence.io. Today's show is brought to you by Somatic Psychotherapy Today, www.somaticpsychotherapytoday.com. Our guest today is Kara Bradley. Kara is a leading authority of mental fitness, having led thousands through her signature strategies to work and play and flow. She shares body-based trainings with Fortune 500 companies, startups, and premier college sports teams. Her work focuses on building awareness of body-mind states, regulating the nervous system, and priming the gut-brain connection for optimal being and performance. She is the author of On the Verge, Wake Up, Show Up, and Shine, founder of the award-winning Verge Yoga Center, and host of On the Verge podcast. How are you doing, Kara? I'm awesome. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. Loved your book. Can't wait to jump in and talk about it. But uh, before we do, I'll kind of get a sense of you and where you came from to do the wonderful work that you're doing these days. And my first question for you is, when did you first exploring, exploring and body-based living, meaning first-person experiences within your own body? Yeah, well, I can go back uh, to when I was probably 10 or 11. I was a figure skater and I spent hours and hours on the ice by myself, you know, not by myself on the ice, but in my own head. And I remember there was something back then called figures, which is why you call figure skating, figure skating, but they don't have figures anymore in the testing. But what happened with figures was that we were given a patch of ice, clean patch of ice, and a scribe, which was like a big compass. And we would create a big figure eight with that scribe. And for an hour, the skater, meaning me, would go around and around and around that figure eight on different edges backward, forward, inside, outside edge. And you were tested on how well you drew your figure eight. I mean, it's crazy. It was so specific. And the reason why they don't do it anymore in figure skating is because most skaters hated it. Well, I loved it. I love figures. I couldn't wait to do more. And so what I, what I recall, and one of the reasons why I loved it so much is because I was very in tune with the connection between my mind and my body. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to myself, I mean, I was young, right? You know, between the ages, like I said, of 10 to like 13. And I remember knowing when I was going to go flat on my edge because I felt like I was stuck in my head, you know, and like, these are like, I'm going back to the language of a t- like a 10 year old, I knew if I was thinking I'd go flat on my edge, I just knew it. Mm. And so it was like this incredible mindfulness training. And I was an average skater. It's not like I excelled at it, but I did really feel very, very like direct experience of what it feels like to be synchronized in mind Mm -hmm. and body 
or uh, in in like not in coherence, right? In, in not in balance or disconnected mind and body. So that's you know some of my early experiences of that. So that was like your first flow state experiences. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's really cool. So how did you kind of deepen that mind-body connection over time? What eventually led you to make it part of your professional life of working with other people to access those states, yeah, develop it's a, those traits? It's a great question. So I didn't really know what was happening when I was a figure skater. And I went on to then run college track and I ran the 800. Uh, and I, you know the story. I start my book with this story. And I had... Uh, a kind of last race flow, optimal flow state experience where I had nothing to lose. And so I went all out and I went for it and I crushed my PR. But more importantly than that, I had another direct experience of myself in a completely different state than I normally lived in. And, you know, some will call it like a non-ordinary experience. Um, but for me, after the race, after I realized what had happened, when I went back to recall the state and everything I experienced, I realized that it felt more ordinary and natural and actually felt like I was a kid again. I felt that light and free and, um, and just bright. And so for me, it wasn't a non-ordinary experience. It was actually an extraordinarily ordinary experience. Mm -hmm. And that really changed my life. I mean, that led me into understand or, or seeking disciplines that would help me train my mind and body to get there more often, not just by accident. So what were some of those disciplines that you explored and what were their effects on you? So one of the first uh, disciplines I explored was yoga because, I mean, we're talking pre-internet, you know, I went to the library and I got these like old books with like, you know, figure drawings of, you know, some Indian men <laughs> doing yoga poses. But I knew that there had to be a discipline, something that could, because I was a disciplined athlete. And so I wanted that. And so I dove deep into yoga and it happened to be, you know, as I continued my study, it happened to be at the, the real birth of, of yoga or the popular yoga that we know now. So there was plenty of, there are plenty of masters for me to learn from. And then that led me into meditation and deep, deep study of meditation in Tibetan Buddhism. Nice. Where were you geographically at this time? Let's see. I was uh, New York-ish as a kid, and then I was uh, in New Hampshire for a few years, and then the Philadelphia area is where I did most of my study, my meditation and yoga study from there. And where is your studio? Studio is in outside of Philadelphia on the main line. Yeah, which I sold. I sold the business uh, New Year's Eve 2019, so pre-COVID. Wow, good timing. It was. It was really good timing. We have a great new owner that I still, in fact, I just got off the phone with her because, you know, small businesses, especially small fitness studios have gotten crushed, crushed yeah, by yeah, this yeah. pandemic. So yeah, I'm very much involved with her. Good, good. It's nice to be helping her out. Yeah. So as you explore kind of these interstates, flow states, meditative states, how would you say it affected how you showed up in the world? 
and then how you related to other people in the world? Mm, that's a really wonderful question. So I've been teaching uh, some type of movement and, and mental practices. Actually, since I was 15, I started teaching figure skating at 15 years old. I really haven't stopped teaching since. And because of my own direct experiences through my sport and then through yoga and meditation, I became really fascinated with how I could, as a teacher, facilitate or at least set up the, the right parameters for someone to have their own experience. Like one thing I learned for sure, like I could say that for sure, is that um, we all have the birth, it's actually our birthright is to feel awake and alive, is to feel connected to our body, is to be able to source intelligence. So I, like I've known that. So for me, the mystery and the challenge as a teacher has been what, what do I need to do or not do in order to allow someone to slip into their own natural state or flow state? You know, we can call it so many different things. Nice. Now, now I want to switch over a little bit to your book, but it's parallel through your own life story. Yeah. And I love this. I love how you came up with the name for your book. It's called The Verge, Wake Up, Show Up and Shine. But talk about The Verge. What is The Verge? Yeah, it's, it's, thanks for bringing that up. It's a great story. So since I've been, fa I've been fascinated with human potential ever since I was younger. And of course, that, that race of my life really um, lit the fire to understand how do we awaken human potential. And so... Um, I, I was married at the time. My husband went down and spent some time in the Amazon about a month down with some indigenous communities. And when he came back, he was talking to me about some of his experiences down there. And he said, you know, every once in a while, when we'd be on the canoes, we would stop at these spots of land, usually points of land where some of the tributaries came together and we would do a little ceremony. And there was this, this area was really regarded as sacred. And these places are called verges. And and he said, it's, you know, it's interesting as I started to look into it, it's, it's actually on the verge where animal life and plant life are at their most diverse because it's a convergence of ecosystems where land and water and, you know, everything else come together. And it was like that moment I looked at him, I said, oh my God, that's it, the verge. That's it. That's what I want to understand. That's what I want to help other people understand. And so when I ended up uh, opening up my yoga studio in 2004, we named it Verge Yoga because I wanted to create a place where people could come and explore states, explore themselves beneath uh, beneath the busy mind and, and get to know their their own natural states and, and tap into their potential. One of the many things I think is great about your work is is not just about, oh, let's have a state change, a transcendent state change at a particular time for like, you know, temporarily determined, but it's like how you live your life on a daily basis with all the ups and downs and ins and outs and familial issues and work issues. Like, you know, how do you show up differently as a 
not as opposed to, but it's not just like, oh, I want to have a really cool state change on a Friday night doing something. It's like, but how do I show up differently on a day-to-day basis? Can you walk us through the second, you know, your book is called The Verge, Wake Up, Show Up and Shine. Can you walk us through waking up, showing up and shining? But I, what I'd ask you to do is, is as we talk through each of those sections, talk through some of the exercises that you would have people and you do have people do. Um, to help them wake up, show up, and shine in their lives, and explain to us how important it is. It's not just about having a transcendent experience on a particular night, during a particular week, but how you live your life on a day-to-day basis. Mm. All right, challenge on. That's good. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let's start with waking up. You know, when we wake up, we wake up all day long. You know, there are these moments. I call them glimpses glimpses of just being super present, glimpses of being, you know, right in the moment with whatever you're doing, whether it's playing the piano or driving a car, playing with your dog, you know, we have these moments. And one of the things that I have learned as a, as a teacher is that a lot of people are confused with what it means to be present. It's like one of those things it's talked about a lot, but it's never really described Like, what does it feel like in our body and our mind when we're present? Well, for me, it always comes back to feeling alive. When we're present, we just have this sense of being alive. You know, Joseph Campbell has that famous quote about, you know, most of us are really just looking for ways to feel fully alive. And that is the same as presence. So, um, so, you know, if you're listening and you're, you know, you're, you're like, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I don't understand what be here now means. Well, it really just means being alive. Like, how can I experience life with all of my senses, with all of my, my whole body experience. So waking up is really just noticing those moments of aliveness and they're happening all day long. So what I often uh, encourage people to do is, is to start noticing those moments, start noticing those glimpses. And in fact, when you go to sleep at night, this is how we start to train ourselves to become more aware. When you go to sleep at night, before you close your eyes, recall your day and think about those three moments, those three glimpses of aliveness. And just remember them. And because tomorrow you're going to start looking for them and you'll start to become more aware when they happen. And what happens when we become more aware and we get to know these moments is that we will start to train ourselves to stay in them. Like we won't speed by the glimpses. We'll actually realize, ah, this is like the space between notes. Don't run by this. This is like a good moment right here, you know? And so that's the waking up. Waking up is just really becoming aware of what's happening moment to moment and not judging yourself for it. Just say, I want to get to know what my busy mind is so busy doing. So I don't miss those spaces between the notes. I don't miss those moments of aliveness. You mentioned the busy mind. Another way of calling is the monkey mind in the the Buddhist tradition. What other um, factors or variables or limitations have you noticed in people you work with that make it challenging for them to show up and live fully in as an example, inside of their bodies? Well, I think for most of us, we're just unaware of our habitual patterns. 
we're unaware of our physical patterns, our mental patterns, our emotional patterns. And for sure, Michael, I mean, you've studied this and, and have put it into practice in your own work. And so awareness is usually the first step. And I love the uh, Tibetan definition of meditation, which is GOM, G-O-M. And it simply means to become familiar with. Mm. You know, it's very light, it's playful. Can I become familiar with the way that my mind works? Can I become mm. familiar with how my body moves in a yoga practice or on the tennis court? So it's that awareness of what we're doing that offers us then the capacity to start to redirect patterns. So for, you know, we're all walking around with those monkey minds. I mean, we are all distracted, right? They, can, they always talk about the goldfish, you know, our attention span is eight seconds or whatever. But when we become familiar with that, we can become curious about it. That's when we can start to change things. So that's the showing up part. I, I love the, the familiar, the word familiar, like the translation from the Tibetan. And a word that comes to mind when I heard that is like relationship. And I heard you say non-judgment. It's like you're developing relationship non-judgmentally with different aspects of yourself and just noticing that. And awareness is the first step of then what I heard you say then is like, okay, I'm aware of these patterns, emotional or movement or breath patterns, and then I can modify them towards the ends that I seek. What kind of techniques do you work with with clients once they're starting to be aware of these things to modify a movement pattern, to modify their breath, to modify an emotion, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love that question. Um, I've been fortunate to have really good teachers, um, I will say, and they've taught, taught me over the decades to, that, that nothing really can happen without without loving kindness, without that self-compassion. And uh, one of my main teachers, Scott McBride, he has taught me several techniques that I'd love to share with your audience that have stuck with me and many others that I've taught. You know, when we can play and be friendly with ourselves, especially when we catch ourselves in, I call them unhelpful patterns, you know, destruct, you could say destructive, but I like to say unhelpful patterns. When we catch ourselves, instead of berating ourselves or beating ourselves up, because that's another pattern, mm -hmm. is to gently acknowledge yourself and, and what you've been doing. So the two ways that I have found, because um, I will I will preface this by saying I'm a hardcore New Yorker. I mean, born in Brooklyn, Italian born, you know, have two brothers I was beat up on. I mean, you know, I, I was rough around the edges for a long time. So loving kindness practice didn't come easily to me. But now it is the source of everything, every, I carry loving kindness with everything I do. And so the two techniques, one is to simply put your hand on your heart. And when you catch yourself doing something, saying something, you know, halfway through the donut, whatever, is just to say, there, there, sweetheart, there, there, sweetheart. You know, I know you're doing your best. There, there, it's okay. It's okay, sweetheart. Sort of like a grandmother figure would, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. comfort you for skinning your knee. I love that, you know, and it took me a while. I'm just telling you, it wasn't like I was right off the bat there, there, sweetheart, but now I can say it in a, just a gentle way to myself. And then, you, the, yeah. For yourself, do you find just doing that kind of loving, gentle kindness approach, 
gives you enough of a pause then to be in choice to change change your behavior from that moment forward? Is that one of the outcomes of doing that approach? Yeah, exactly. Because it softens you. It's just, it's like dropping tense shoulders, you know, all yeah. of a sudden it's like, okay, there, there, sweetheart. I, you know, I, there you go again. It's okay. And so with this loving voice and, and another one is to offer yourself a, um, a term of endearment. So if you think back, Michael, you may have one uh, of a childhood nickname or um, of a name you would have loved somebody to have called you or even, you know, how you, well, let me say that. So my childhood nickname was Mimi. And so Mimi, I'll just say to myself, come on, Mimi, come on, Mimi, let's, let's get this done. Focus, Mimi, you know, so it's that light childlike word, you know, language and tone. So this is the third one, the tone of voice. If you think back to, or now maybe my, my doggy is gone, but think back to how you spoke to your dog or speak to your cat or a young child. So we call it a love object. So it's a child that doesn't speak back to you yet, you know, <laughs> younger than 18 months. But you think about even like a dog, how your voice gets chirpy and high yeah. and playful. And so those simple three little tools for loving kindness, um, they've worked like a charm for me. And they do soften the edges and the armor. And they allow me to then, like you said, have a little more space to redirect and make a better choice. Nice. Love that. And Mimi, mine, mine is Pigman. <laughs> <laughs> I ate like a pig when I was a kid. Only pig man. <laughs> and actually, my sister still does. <laughs> um, how about showing up? So showing up starts with loving kindness, just like that. Um, and, and showing up. So we have waking up is noticing, right? Becoming aware of moments of aliveness. Showing up is actually then applying this, this mindfulness, applying attention, a focus. So um, applying loving kindness for sure. And also um, I have this little trick I used to do with a basketball team that I trained uh, called fierce focus. Fierce focus. These are just little sound bites to remind yourself to show up. So I had one of the players would step up to the you know foul line and he would uh, oh the free throw line he'd always just fierce focus fierce focus before he took a shot. Um, another way of showing up, they're reminders to just be here. They're reminders to just allow yourself to be on the verge. Right, the verge is this moment where we where we do our best and feel our best. So another great one uh, that I often teach, and this I developed for a football team, college football team, is called feet planted, eyes steady. So if you think of football players stepping up to the line of scrimmage, you know, they need to, they need to get themselves set. So feet planted, setting our, feet, planting our feet and setting our gaze brings our energy, our body mind into into coherent, in a coherent state. So I teach executives, you know, if you're, if you're at a meeting, I mean, even a zoom meeting, plant your feet, bring your attention to your feet, because that's the lowest part of your body. So it, it enables you to get yourself out of your head and down into your body. So just pressing 10 toes down can help 
kind of snap you into focus. How about breath? How does breath show up for waking up and showing up and even shining? Because we can head in that direction too. Yeah. I, I mean, I love breath practice. I'm not, I'm not an expert at breath practice. I've just been doing it for over 50 years, <laughs> but I do, I do study the breath. And what's amazing is that research shows that every emotion has a correlating breath pattern. Like sadness has a type of breath pattern and it may not be the same for everybody, but anger obviously has a breath pattern. Well, we can look on the other side, our optimal states also have specific breath patterns. Mm -hmm. The breath pattern that I study the most is, uh, is something called coherent breathing or resonant bre resonance breathing, which is a deep balanced breath that allows our autonomic nervous system to find its way into coherence or balance or harmony. And when that happens, when our nervous system is, is in coherence, we are both mentally clear and physically calm. Calm clarity, the sense of alertness and, and at easeness is actually how we define flow states or a mindful state. It's really our optimal state is to be clear and calm. So that's why I lean on that balanced breathing a lot. I love that. I actually have my clients use heart math as yeah. an objective measurement of getting to those coherent states. That's yeah. very cool. I use that yeah. too. I love, I love devices. I mean, they're so helpful. Don't you think just to keep us on track and help us become familiar with those states. I completely agree. And um, even with, especially more scientifically minded, medically minded people who want some objective measurements of subjective states, it's, it's a really nice way to kind of get them inside themselves by having them focus on outside for a moment while they're going inside and modifying states. So sure. it's, it's very helpful. Shining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shining. Um, I love that word. It, it's, it's where we radiate. It's where the um, life force, source energy, God energy, you can call it whatever you, it, you want. It is, it is a, an intelligence that shines through us. And when we are in balance, when we are in a coherence, that energy moves through us like a fire hose, I like to say. Do you want to be a garden hose or a fire hose? If you want to be a fire hose in, in your life and allow that creative expression to run through you, then you want to check out the blocks, the kinks in the, in the hose. And so something like yoga can help you do that. Meditation can certainly help you do that. And, and just investigation, self-contemplative you know, practice can help you to recognize where is that energy not running through me at, at its most magnificent speed or force. And uh, so shining is, is when we are present. In fact, Eckhart Tolle uh, would say that uh, words spoken in the present moment have transformative power. When we are present, I mean, we can, we know, we know what to do. We know what not to do. We know how to lean in. We know when to pull back. We just know. So learning to be present is how we, we um, acclimate and train our systems to shine more often and consistently. 
So if we want to use kind of this subjective, intersubjective language, waking up, showing up, and shining, or you know, you're you're changing and working with subjective states. But talk to me about how this shows up interpersonally. Like you know, someone goes through your program, works with you, begins to wake up, they're showing up differently, they're now shining. Sounds wonderful with all the things you just walked us through. But how does that show up in their marriages, in their relation to their kids, in their workspace? How you, or in your like some of the examples you gave, team sports. <laughs> how do these people show up differently than someone who's not woken up, showing up, and shining mm. in their lives? Yeah, I love that question. It it brings me to another one of my favorite quotes, which is from Emerson, and he says that who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Mm. Who we are, we can't lie who we are in this moment. We cannot hide our nervousness, our fear, our doubt, our insecurity, our judgment, all of it. it, it we, we are so wired as human beings, as beings to communicate non-verbally that we can't hide it. So when we realize that, that who I am in the conference room is actually speaking to everybody before I say hello, it, and you want to be a high performer or you want deep connection, you are going to turn that mirror towards yourself every single day and just look with that love and kindness. Where am I stuck? Where am I shut down? Where am I still judging? Where am I holding back? Where am I not connecting? And, and when we start to get under the hood, I like to say, and look at all this and really become familiar with ourselves. When we do step up into the conversation with our children, with our spouse, you know, on the field or in the conference room, we will show up more authentically, more uh, radiant. And so that is the first impression. Not that we, that we need to make impressions, but we wanna show up as our most bright, shiny self. Which is wonderful because as you as you know from the heart math research, you know, if you show up in coherence, you have an effect on people around you. You know, so it kind of radiates. If you're in a negative space, it radiates out. And if you're in a positive, loving, caring space, it radiates out and affects their heart and mind systems around you. So yeah. that's that's very cool. You mentioned working with sports teams, you mentioned football and basketball. Talk through some of the other clients you work with, whether in the sports space or the or the corporate space or individuals. Like who have you worked with and who are your favorite types of clients? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily professions, but like who who would you love to show up on your door and knock on the door and say, Kara, I want to work with you? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think years ago, I would have definitely sent athletes. Um, so I work with the Villanova football and basketball teams for 14 years. And then, nice. yeah, and then various other um, collegiate teams in the in the Pennsylvania area, Penn State and UPenn and others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love working with athletes because they are innately curious about performance. So they're, they, they're, they want to learn. They really are curious. Um, So that makes it just a little easier, right? To kind of bring it. And they've taught me, gosh, those working with those athletes have taught me so much over the years. Um, I I love working with anyone who is curious about being a better human. I know that it's really not a cop out. I really love um, Mm -hmm. a curious human. It, It lights me up. 
It's like, you really want to know? All right, let's get to it. Let's, let's, let's go underneath the hood and, and dissect and, and become more acutely aware of subtle, of the subtleties of what it means to be human in this world. Um, one of the things that used to make me not very popular as a yoga teacher and a yoga studio owner is that we did not play a whole lot of music. In fact, I would have had no music. Um, and, and I would get a lot of students and teachers saying, why can't we play music? And, um, you know, when you've, when you've gone underneath and you've gone deep and you've realized the symphony that is happening in your body, 24 seven, like it's always just musical and there's so much to learn and piling a lot of extra distraction on top of that. It just robs you of that experience. So when I find a curious person, that's like, yeah, let's do this. Um, I, I love I'm that because what comes to mind is without the noise and the environment, the, the multiverse within becomes, you become aware of of that inside of yourself, whether it's the music within or other ways you might, that might be expressing itself. I like the visual. I'm just a visual person. So I'm like, yeah. that's really cool. I like that. Now yeah. you obviously have the verge wake up show up in China as a book. You have a podcast, but you also have other, other things that are available. What yeah. other things do you offer to clients, future clients and present day clients? Yeah. I mean, I was a busy business owner for 16 years. So, I mean, the fact that I got a book out is, is amazing. It almost killed me. But um, so um, since, since uh, selling the business, I have been um, working on a bunch of courses that I've designed for uh, wellness brands, such as Mindful Magazine. I have a mindful movement course and I'm actually working on a second course for them right now. Uh, nice. Round Glass, another um, platform I just finished a course for, Insight Timer. I have a course on there. I love doing, I love collaborating with other platforms because that, that way they can use their, their audience and share and I can do what I do best, which isn't marketing, which is actually teaching. So I love, I love collaborating with um, platforms like that. And um, I've recently started partnering. Well, actually in the last two years, I work with a company that is focused on the gut brain connection and um the work, the new science of the gut-brain connection. So going even a level deeper than the nervous system now is, is the, this whole new territory of the microbiome and how our gut microbiome impacts our mental health and our mental performance. So uh, again, continuing to look at human potential and how do we do everything we can to wake up, show up and shine. That's awesome. And one of the things I'm kind of hearing throughout this whole conversation is that you are always growing and exploring new things. You know, you're not like Johnny one note. <laughs> so you're, one of the newest thing I hear you say is like the gut mind uh, you know, connection. Yes. Um, what other questions are you exploring these days? And, and let me ask you to answer that in terms of also being a nomad. Yes. Oh, <laughs> which good. I loved. Yeah. Yeah, so so I'm, I'm I definitely am exploring down, 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 like into the the biology and the neuroanatomy of our of our body mind. I think is so fascinating. 
But also in, on that hand is, um, is what does it mean to live a life that is untethered and untangled from our, just the, the current pressures of being human in this Western world, at least. Um, so since selling the business, my husband and I have gone location independent, which uh, it means we have no house. Uh, and if you've seen Nomad, you know, which is, was a great movie, but you know, we're not working at wall drug. So <laughs> a lot of people have been asking us or, you know, or if we're working at Amazon or it was a great movie, but, but really our investigation and our curiosity is what kind of energy and creativity is unleashed when you actually become light physically from your attachment to not only a house, but the stuff in a house, and then also a place. And it's, it, it's not easy or comfortable because it's so much, uh, it's so cozy to have a home and to be in a home and have a community. But we're curious about what happens when you release that. And this isn't forever. I mean, it's for now. Um, and I have to tell you, the sense of freedom and childlike freedom that is unleashed is is extraordinary. You know, I, I've heard you talk, you use the word childlike, play. In the very beginning, you talked about like, it wasn't non-ordinary. It was ordinary, like when we were kids. And so it seems to me a theme of what at least we've been talking about in our conversation is how do we go back to the childlike curiosity, playfulness, and awe of life? Mm. And that seems to be like some of the, the values that drive you and your work. Yeah. Awe is a, such a great word, isn't it? Yeah. Such a great word. Dacher Keltner out of UC Berkeley has done such an incredible job with the research behind awe. And that comes back to those glimpses of aliveness. You know, when you start to notice, you know, oh, the smell coming off the sea or how the sun just hits the top of the trees, you know, I call this living in high definition. When you start to allow all those senses to light up, it, it, it makes you feel like a kid again that, you know, remembers every smell and sound and touch and feel and that teddy bear and the, you know, the way grandma did this. And um, it, we become more playful, more childlike. And, you know, I know that I've, I've heard this at least, I haven't met him, but the Dalai Lama is like a little boy in many respects in his energy and giggle, he giggles, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so where can people find out more about your book, your online courses, any writing you've done, any interviews you've done, as well as your own podcast? Yeah. So my website's the best place, karabradley.net. And that's Kara with the C. Um, and then I'm on social media. Um, I'm on most of the platforms and playing out there. I love engaging with people, especially, like I said, curious humans. So All I'd right. love to, you know, love to hear from anybody. Awesome. Well, thank you, Kara. It's great to talk to you. Thank you, Michael, so much. This has been fun. Same.